Before we begin today's podcast episode, I want to let you know about two upcoming events. Our two-year Jungian Psychotherapy Program for Psychotherapy Clinicians and Jungian Studies Program for Non-Clinicians is accepting applications through July 1st. We have an open house on May 4th from 1 to 4 p.m. at the Jung Institute in downtown Chicago if you'd like to attend to meet the incoming directors and current students to have any questions answered as well as see the space. If you would like to RSVP for this event, email young at youngchicago.org. We also have a Jung 101 program, The Spirituality of Jungian Psychology, on May 18th at St. Mark's in Barrington, as part of our campaign to extend our courses into the suburbs of Chicago, we have three locations for this event, and you can choose the one that's most convenient for you. May 18th from 1 to 5 p.m. at St. Mark's Church in Barrington. June 1st from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Young Institute in downtown Chicago. And June 8th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Morton Arboretum in Lyle, Illinois. For more information about that program, visit our website, youngchicago.org. Welcome to the Jungian Anthology Podcast, Analytical Psychology Seminars from the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago. Understanding and Healing Addictions, a Jungian Contribution, with John Giannini, MDiv, LCPC, and NCSIA. This episode is part one of the series, Understanding and Healing Addictions. It was recorded in 1990. This course offers a Jungian understanding and healing of addictions by considering correspondence between Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, and Young, whom Wilson praises for being one of the key influences leading to the formation of AA and its 12 steps. The meaning of addiction within our culture is also examined by utilizing the psychology of narcissism as a key to understanding. Diagrams used in this talk are not available, but in-depth descriptions of John Giannini's work can be found in his book, Compass of the Soul, and a link to purchase that on Amazon is in our show notes if you are interested. John Giannini, MDiv, LCPC, and NCSIA, was a Jungian analyst in private practice in Chicago and Evanston. He holds an MDiv in religion and psychology from St. Albert's College, a master's from the University of Chicago Divinity School, an MBA from Stanford University, and LCPC certification with the state of Illinois. John published articles and lectured widely throughout the U.S. and Canada on the wounded child within and narcissistic addictive behavior. He is the author of Compass of the Soul, an updated understanding of typology. And we will have links to the complete series, as well as other lectures by John Giannini.
As we go along, I want to talk to you about these uh, charts. I will make extensive use of them in order to uh, help us understand uh, what the uh, very complex processes uh, in, uh, in addiction. Uh, we'll go uh, as part of the lecture through uh, at least the high points of the uh, Bill Wilson-Jung letters. And then I want very specifically, although this is going to be in the uh, uh, in somewhat in the lecture, I want to talk to you about psychic reality, uh, the importance of that in understanding uh, Jung's psychology and understanding this work in addictions. And I'm going to read to you uh, a very interesting dream from a lucid dreamer uh, and researcher from the Stanford University Sleep uh, uh, Research Center and also an, illus uh, an, an illustrative dream that uh, shows what happens when we ignore psychic reality. Uh, that is where the dream ego itself is confused between inner and outer reality. And that's, that is absolutely central to our work. If, uh, if that idea can be put over by the, uh, by the end of our workshop, then, uh, then something worthwhile will have come of this, uh, of this workshop. Uh, I also want to uh, make some suggestions of uh, uh, maybe overnight readings uh, uh, for you in Witness to the Fire and also in the drama of the Gifted Child. Any questions? <laughs> so I want to begin this lecture with two poems taken from a book by Ashley Montague entitled Growing Young. This book is part of a large background and understanding of the human being that makes possible the healing of our neurotic afflictions, our addictions. This is from uh, Lewis McNeese, Prayer Before Birth. I am not yet born. Oh, fill me with strength against those who would freeze my humanity, would dragoon me into a lethal automaton would make me a cog in a machine, a thing with one face, a thing and against all those who would dissipate my entirety, would blow me like thistle down hither and thither, or hither and thither like water held in the hand would spill me. Let them not make me a stone, and let them not spill me, otherwise kill me. And the other is uh, from uh, T.S. Eliot's Burnt Norton. Go, said the bird, for the leaves were full of children, hidden excitedly, containing laughter. Go, 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 said the bird. Humankind cannot bear very much reality. Now the question we ask in this uh, workshop is, can we bear enough reality so as to overcome significantly our addictions or help others, guide others in overcoming theirs, both and, of course. Now, my reasons for giving this workshop are as follows. Uh, for one thing, uh, I want to uh, read uh, at least portions of the uh, correspondence that occurred between Bill Wilson, one of the co-founders of AA, and Carl Jung in January of 19. 61. This was a short time, well, six months roughly, uh, before Jung died in, on June the 6th. 
I want to share with you, uh, uh, secondly, also something of my own addiction. Uh, three, a Jungian contribution to the understanding and, and the healing of addictions, I, I think, is long overdue. And thank God for uh, a book such as uh, Witness to the Fire. Uh, and I, uh, I think the reason for that is because so many of the, uh, of the books, while very, very good in, in giving us pictures of addiction and also giving us some structures for healing, uh, do not emphasize enough, in my, in my view, the, uh, uh, the dynamic of the process, and particularly through the use of dreams. For specifically, I find that uh, uh, most of the uh, literature before this reason does not go deep enough and does not connect various addictive factors and healing process in, in, into an integral dynamic whole. And five, I, I want to, to put even the Jungian literature into a larger context, coming from principles found in every evolutionary process and repeated according to Jung in human development. And these are principles that I will discuss and uh, show you in context, uh, uh, they are the principles under work. If you'll look at, uh, at this first uh, figure, under work you'll find differentiation, under love, communion, under play, interiority. Now these are, uh, are principles that uh, cultural evolutionists find in every evolutionary process. And it's very interesting that, uh, that Jung in his article on the, on the development of personality uh, discusses three princi principles of human development and they are called definiteness, wholeness, and ripeness. And I suggest to you that, uh, that they are uh, similar, absolutely similar to uh, these three, differentiation, communion, and interiority. And then there's a fourth principle, the principle of integration, which for me becomes synchronicity. Finally, I want to name with you what I think uh, uh, most of us already know, and yet the naming is important, that there is an original addiction that underlies all addictions. The response of the child to the uh, narcissistic parent's uh, original sin, and uh, I'd like to test out with you whether this uh, naming is correct, and particularly uh, if it adds to the healing of addictions, which I truly believe it does. All right, now uh, let's uh, let's get to the, the letters between uh, Wilson and C. G. Jung. Uh, did you get it? So this is Bill Wilson uh, uh, writing to Jung on January the twenty-third, nineteen sixty-one. Uh, he introduces himself as one of the co-founders of AA. And uh, he says, uh, through uh, Roland H., uh, I want to share with you uh, uh, the connection that exists between you as a, uh, uh, as a psychoanalyst and, uh, uh, and uh, the development of our program. And he goes into uh, his uh, understanding of the, st of the relationship between Roland H. that developed in the 30s, okay, when this young man came to Jung and uh, uh, with this uh, uh, drinking affliction, in the process of, uh, of analysis, he stopped drinking, uh, finished his work with Jung, and, and then a few months later uh, lapsed back into drinking, returned to Jung, and Jung, in effect, uh, said to him that uh, 
that he could not help him and unless he went through uh, a spiritual conversion provided Jung uh, apparently said he could become the subject of a spiritual or religious experience in short a genuine conversion and he added further that uh, that usually this is realized in some kind of a religious atmosphere and uh, by implication some kind of a group uh, a group setting and uh, now there are immediately resonances here uh, on a psychic level if we look at psychic reality instead of just social reality uh, then what we have to keep in mind is that a religious atmosphere also exists within us and one of our greatest challenges, you see, is to find that religious atmosphere within ourselves. And that's one of the great tasks of, uh, of any one of the uh, uh, AA-like programs with the 12 steps. But it needs to be emphasized so that the 12 steps, you see, is not just a linear process, but a process of going down, down, into a very deep place. And he goes on uh, pointing out that after uh, Roland left uh, Jung, he, in England, joined the Oxford group that also was uh, at that time in existence on, in various cities of the, uh, of the United States on the East Coast. And uh, he uh, joined uh, one you know, on the East Coast also. And uh, at this point, uh, uh, Mr. Wilson says to Jung, you will remember their large emphasis upon the principles of self-survey, confession, restitution, and the giving of oneself in service to others. Now, you can sense the, uh, the, uh, the elements of the uh, uh, AA and the 12-step uh, movement right there. In these surroundings, Roland Age indeed did stop uh, drinking again, along with uh, several others. In turn, he interested a, uh, a, a man named Edwin who was a friend of, uh, of uh, Bill W. and uh, um, who was very, very depressed. And Edwin came to him, and, and he was deeply impressed with the significant change that, uh, that uh, he had gone through. This obvious uh, state of release, he says, uh, as distinguished from the usual depression, was tremendously convincing. Because he was a kindred sufferer, other intimations there of AA, but not just AA, any kind of a therapeutic process in which their uh, wounded healers are present to one another. Because he was a kindred sufferer, he could unquestionably communicate with me at great depth. I knew at once I must find an experience like his or die. And uh, meanwhile, he had been working with Dr. Silkworth uh, who maintained that uh, that the alcoholic problem was not just one of uh, of a psychological problem, but also, as he saw it, something of a physical allergic problem. So you see, there you have that physical component that uh, this uh, that this doctor was perceiving already in the uh, in the thirty thirties. Bill uh, Wilson continues clear once more of alcohol. I found myself terribly depressed. And we're going to have to understand the, uh, the, the connection between any addiction 
end this phenomenon of depression because it is enormously important, not only because it's a very, very painful aspect of, uh, of any addictive process, but beca because particularly there is a healing potential in that depression. And, and until we understand that, and understand it in the context of, uh, of what uh, uh, Leonard, in Witness to the Fire, calls the fall, okay, into the darkness, then we're not going to understand what the, uh, the, uh, the therapeutic process is in healing addictions. And I suggest, suggest to you that just straight 12-step uh, stuff where you just uh, uh, talking to one another and, and, say, and uh, confessing your uh, damage to other persons is not enough. This seemed to be caused by my inability to gain the slightest faith. Edwin, my friend, again visited me and repeated the simple Oxford group formulas. Soon after he left me, I became even more depressed. In utter despair, I cried out, If there be a God, will he show himself? There immediately came to me an illumination of enormous impact and dimension, something which I have since tried to describe in the book uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. That's the big book. And I've read that carefully, and, uh, and uh, he doesn't make as impactful a statement there as he does here. Okay. Uh, he also discusses that an 8A comes of, of age. My release from the alcoholic obsession was immediate. At once I knew I was a free man, and that's quite extraordinary. Now, I'd like to suggest to you, though, that, uh, that what happens afterwards probably maintained him in, in health. It's like uh, the, uh, the, those occurrences in, uh, in the, the gospel where people are instantly healed and... Uh, and Jesus says, go and sin no more, okay? That there, there is a big if there. Sin no more, uh, uh, understood in the, in the largest sense of, of uh, going through a consistent transformation of life. Shortly following my experience, my friend Edwin came to the hospital bringing me a copy of William James's Varieties of Religious Experience. This book gave me the realization that most conversion experiences, listen to this now, whatever their variety, do have a common denominator of ego collapse at depth. Now, that's very crucial. Again, in terms of understanding the positive meaning of the depressed position. The individual faces an impossible dilemma in my case, the dilemma had been created by my compulsive drinking and the deep feelings of hopelessness had been vastly deepened by my doctor. It was deepened still more by my alcoholic friend when he acquainted me with your verdict of hopelessness respecting Roland H. In the wake of my spiritual experience, there came a vision of a society of alcoholics, each identifying with and transmitting his experience to the next, chain style. If each sufferer were to carry the news of the scientific hopelessness of alcoholism to each new prospect, he might be able to lay every newcomer wide open to a transforming spiritual experience. Now, for me, that, that's the, the real basis for his maintaining his, uh, his, uh, his health, as it, as it were, his sobriety. 
then he discusses the numbers uh, uh, of uh, people who in the 60s were involved in, uh, in AA. We don't need to review that. And he thanks him along with Dr. Silkwood and the, uh, the Oxford uh, groups and William James uh, for all contributing significantly to the beginning of AA. And he finishes uh, with these words. Very many thoughtful AAs are students of your writings. Because of your conviction that man is something more than intellectual, than intellect, emotion, and two dollars worth of chemicals, you have especially endeared yourself to us. Please be certain that your place in the affection and in the history of our fellowship is like no other. There's more than intellect, emotion, and two dollars worth of chemistry, and that says uh, an enormous amount. There is a spiritual dimension, and uh, that's what we have to probe more and more uh, as we uh, work through these uh, hours together. And uh, on January the 30th, now Jung was a very ill man, and so his response to, um, to uh, Mr. Wilson followed uh, seven days later. January the 30th, 1961. Dear Mr. Wilson, your letter has been very welcome indeed. I had no news from Roland H. Anymore and, uh, anymore and often wondered what has been his fate. Our con conversation, which he has adequately reported to you, had an aspect of which he did not know. The reason that I could not tell him uh, everything was that those days I had to be exceedingly careful of what I said. I had found out that I was misunderstood in every possible way. Uh, parenthetically, he was, he was being scored by the, uh, the psychological and, and psychiatric professions because of the fact that he uh, taught that there, that there was a collective unconscious, because he taught that uh, religion had an intrinsic inner value, because he taught that there were archetypes in the uh, in the human soul, and uh, uh, and he was relegated very very much to the uh, backwash, if you will, of these professions, and indeed still is. Still is. Thus, I was very careful when I talked to Roland H. But what I really thought about was the result of many experiences with men of his kind. And this is crucial. His craving for alcohol was the equivalent on a low level of the spiritual thirst of our being for wholeness expressed in medieval language, the union with God. Can I walk uh, now, immediately, uh, we need to uh, see what that, uh, what that looks like in uh, in terms of the of the psyche, here is ego, and I'm I'm drawing from uh, uh, from that simple pattern that I developed in uh, in studying uh, Alice Miller. Okay, that's uh, our figure two, isn't it? Okay, and uh, and I'm not going to stress the, this process here now. We'll uh, we'll get into that. What I simply want to note is is what. Jung calls 
a thirst of our being for wholeness expressed in medieval language, the union with God. And uh, what I simply want to say, here's the depressed aspect of psyche, and here's the grandiose. What Jung is talking about is a hunger of the soul for the self, pure and simple. That is our intrinsic wholeness. That is our potential wholeness. And that is our union with God. And Jung is very blunt about that on page 250 of, uh, of his two essays, which is available in a, second, uh, in a separate uh, book. Uh, I don't know what the page is in the uh, collected works, but on page 250 of the two essays, which is his basic book explaining his system, he talks about the self as uh, an affinity with, uh, with all things, uh, with beasts and with gods, with, uh, uh, with crystals and with stars. And a little later he says it might as well be called God with us. Okay. God with us. No, it's God within us. And even indicates the plural reality there. That, the, that this is the goal, you see, of individuation. And the goal of individu and individuation is never a solipsistic one, never a private one. Uh, as you pursue your true self, understood in Jungian terminology, you are deepening your capacity for relating to uh, people and all things. Okay? And uh, uh, this, uh, the, the idea of wholeness is one of the realities of the self. The self is a source, but it's also the container, you see, of the entire psyche. It includes consciousness and the unconscious. How could one formulate such an insight in a language that is not misunderstood in our days? The only right and legitimate way to such an experience is that it happens to you in reality and it can only happen to you when you walk on a path which leads you to higher understanding. You might be led to that goal by, and he has a series here, one, an act of grace, or two, through a personal and honest contact with friends, love relationships. That's an act of grace, too, though. Or through a higher education of the mind beyond the confines of mere rationalism. And that, again, is the self, which is the center of that deep, irrational part of us that we call the collective <coughs> unconscious. I am strongly convinced that the evil principle prevailing in this world leads the unrecognized spiritual need into perdition if it is not counteracted either by real religious insight or by the protective wall of human community. Real religious insight uh, is achieved in our uh, inward process in contact with the self, with God within. And, of course, or by the protective wall of human community, uh, and I would say in most instances, both and. An ordinary man not protected by an action from above 
and isolated in society cannot resist the power of evil, which is called very aptly the devil. But the use of such words arouses so many mistakes that one can only keep aloof from them as much as possible. Now, maybe as we go along, you'll want to know what uh, Jung's idea of the, of the devil is all about. It's not the classical uh, one that, uh, that, where that establishes immediately that there is a separate entity. That may very, very well be, Jung says, in, in other, uh, others of his writings, but he's interested in how that archetype of evil is expressed in our human experience. These are the reasons why I could not give a full and sufficient ex explanation to Roland H., Roland H., but I am risking it with you because I conclude from your very decent and honest letter that you have acquired a point of view above the misleading platitudes one usually hears about alcoholism. And besides, uh, to give more perspective to Jung, he was a, uh, a much older man at that time, and even ten years before that, in 1951, when he wrote his article on synchronicity, which exposed him even more to uh, ridicule, Beyond uh, his other concepts, uh, he said at that time, I'm an old man and I uh, give less and less care as to what other people think. And I owe it to my clients who have been telling me these stories uh, about their psychic experiences for 20 years and I'm not going to hold back any further. Then he has this concluding uh, statement which must be understood again in an inner uh, way. You see, alcohol in Latin is spiritus, and you use the same word for the highest religious experience as well as for the most depraving poison. The helpful formula, therefore, is spiritus contra spiritum. Thanking you again for your kind letter. Now, spiritus contra spiritum simply means spirit against the spirit. And translated in the, in the context of any addictive process, it means the wrong spirit, if you will. The wrong high versus the legitimate high. And there really is one legitimate high that comes from a very, very deep place within ourselves. It's basically what uh, Jung is saying at that particular point. Okay. Now, I, uh, I have not uh, fortunately been afflicted with, uh, with uh, uh, substance abuse. Uh, however, I have had academic afflictions. <coughs> And uh, before any of you discount this, remember that every addiction involves two aspects. One, a giving of oneself to another authority, whether it is a substance or a relationship. And two, the fear of discovering and being oneself. And because of the circumstances uh, in my life, uh, because when I was a little child, I could not speak... Uh, uh, English at all, and when I went to school, it was a very fearful experience for, for me. My reaction was to really take on the academic community. And even though I was a uh, feeling uh, type, I, uh, I thought and gave enormous power to the thinking function, to logic, to intellectual argumentation, and to the academic authorities who foster this kind of intelligence. 
okay? Um, and uh, to make a long story short, what happened was that I simply, uh, at crucial uh, periods in my life, twice uh, uh, into my uh, middle year, uh, 30s, I had two serious uh, nervous breakdowns. Uh, I developed a persona that was so English that people uh, wanted to know whether I'd come from England or, uh, or Canada, uh, you know, as a, uh, as a reaction to that early uh, fear of the intellectual community. I also became a sports uh, uh, addict uh, in the sense that uh, I used sports also as a way of connecting with the, uh, uh, the WASP community. Now, one of the heating factors that, uh, that I entered into was uh, to free myself uh, when, I, when I did uh, uh, intensive work in my first analysis was uh, uh, spontaneous writing. Unfortunately, I didn't carry that on after I got over my, uh, my, uh, my particular pains. And only recently have I been introduced to the work of Julia Cameron. How many of you are aware of her work, uh, Healing the, uh, the Artist Within? Have you heard of that uh, workbook that, uh, that she uh, has written? She also teaches a 12-week course based upon that. Healing the Artist Within, any artist, uh, although she specifically teaches there a, uh, a practice that she calls the morning pages. In 1975, I believe it was, uh, she realized that she was an alcoholic. She had been using her her uh, writing, uh, her drinking, <clears throat> in order to get into writing, just as Linda Leonard uh, shows uh, her doing it in uh, in her preface here, which I want uh, please all of you to at least try to read this evening before we begin, or tomorrow before we begin at ten o'clock. And she was left in despair because she thought that if I stop drinking, that I'll have to stop writing. She was wandering around New Mexico at the time, and uh, she. Uh, uh, began to ask herself, well, what do I believe in? And she immediately heard the response, I believe in a, a, a creator God. And that creator God is within me, and, uh, and therefore I've got to contact that power within myself. And so she got the idea also in a kind of a, a sudden inspiration to begin spontaneous writing that she now calls the morning pages. Uh, a woman named Goldberg, also in the book uh, Writing Down the Bones, teaches the same idea. Uh, she calls her writings junk writing. Okay, and the whole point of it is to keep the censor out of the uh, uh, out of the writing, to keep the parent out of the writing. You see, to keep the power of the uh, of the controlling authorities out of the way. She used alcohol for a while to do that, but then she also. Uh, was taken over by the authority of alcohol, okay? Spontaneous writing is to be taken very, very seriously. You are not journaling. You are not trying to write anything su substantial. If uh, that little uh, 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 part of you says, uh, oh, this is beautiful writing, uh, make a note of that, uh, and then write down this is beautiful writing and get away from it entirely. You are honoring play itself, pure spontaneity. Now, this is not an easy thing for us Westerners to do. It's a very, very powerful uh, discipline. I call it discipline spontaneity. <laughs> <coughs> All right. 
Okay, now third, this uh, the uh, Jungian entrance into the field of addiction, uh, as I've said, is long overdue. I've given uh, one workshop, workshop and uh, uh, and also a course uh, in workaholism before I got into addictions. In I, I was working with the workaholism in King Arthur and his knights. That is, uh, using uh, that particular great uh, mythological structure as a way of showing how how people uh, get caught up in uh, in uh, high heady activity. Uh, I had never, however, focused on the archetypal basis of the uh, AA type groups and their tradition of anonymity, and particularly on the twelve stre steps, strengthened by the use of dreams, the language of God, of the Creator God within us. I feel that, that people with some training are capable of using a Jungian approach in the 12 steps as a way of getting to the archetypal process that underlies these steps. Now, this is certainly implied in Bill Wilson's letter to Jung, not just because of Jung's personal encouragement of Roland L., but because he pointed out, that is, Bill did, the significance of both personal conversion and the support of a spiritual community. Well, Jung pointed that out. Also, Wilson had added, very many thoughtful AAs are students of your writing. Now, the crucial uh, factor here is understanding the, uh, the archetypes. And uh, uh, the, that is the, the, the main thrust of our work, if indeed there is a unique contribution that Jung makes to uh, the understanding and the healing of addictions, then it's got to be by virtue of our understanding the work of the uh, of the archetypes in this process. The main thrust of this workshop will be in helping participants articulate and experience their healing archetypal journey within a framework in which, with Linda Leonard, we uh, we look at what it means to be in flight to reach a high, what it means to fall, and what it means in that fall to uh, realize a creative potential. Okay, and, uh, and within the context also of these correlations here that we will work on uh, more specifically uh, tomorrow, uh, where the, uh, the, uh, the process of, of reaching a high really is coming from from the self up to this first level, you see, where we enter into a, uh, a one-sided ego consciousness, a very, very necessary consciousness in order for us to plunge back down into these deeper levels, okay? To plunge into what Jung calls the shadow, into the wounded child, to plunge into what Jung calls uh, the feminine and the masculine principles, uh, that third level that, Jung, that I also call the new child, and then to plunge into the self itself the divine child, okay? And to bring into play the human activities of work and of love and of play and to pray, and pray that correlate with these four levels, okay? And uh, where uh, Meister Eckhart's four levels, one of the great uh, uh, universal mystics, also have their correlation, but we're not going to focus directly on him, but it, uh, this is there for you to pay attention to. And also to see that, that, that there are bodily correlates uh, 
uh, to this process also with the head referring uh, to the uh, the ego level and the heart uh, to the level of the wounded child uh, and the uh, the guts womb the sexual organs uh, correlated with the new child and with the, the uh, element of play very very important and finally the whole subtle body or the, if you will the dancing body associated with the self all these provide the framework for the archetypal journey in which the healing of addictions occur okay and another reason why this course is uh, important I mean this workshop is important is because uh, of the Jungian literature that's uh, now available now again I've asked you to read uh, Linda Leonard's witness to the fire I also recommend uh, another book for those of you who are want to pursue a Jungian approach but more from understanding uh, drug addiction specifically in terms of uh, a, a cultural uh, uh, base Luigi Zoya Luigi Zoya Z O J A a, uh, a Jungian from uh, from Italy has written a book called Drugs Addiction and Initiation The Modern Search for Ritual and further uh, Marion Woodman's uh, books are very very important here because of the work that she has uh, done with uh, uh, with obesity and with uh, nervosa anorexia uh, but of, of her books the most important is addiction to perfection the still unravished bride now again the term uh, uh, archetype for those who you do not term refers uh, do not understand this term refers to innate inborn natural or if you will God-given patterns in the psyche these patterns are first potencies of psyche okay only potencies um, but always there and available uh, to be actualized and appear you see uh, in uh, literature appear in rich uh, ritual in fairy tales and and myth in scriptures and uh, uh, in poetry appear in dreams as powerful images usually of a spiritual nature that is they appear like uh, as it were gods and goddesses or have a like godlike larger than life uh, 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 quality always with specific uh, attributes for example the uh, the masculine warrior uh, is aggressive is a metaphor of war um, and disciplined work um, it's the assertive part of us and a softer archetype is the lover some people are uh, authentically identified with this archetype just as much with this archetype as others are with uh, with the uh, warrior each such universal pattern is constituted in such a way that there are both positive and negative aspects now that is very very crucial because the process of healing any kind of emotional affliction involves a transformation and the symbols you see the universal symbols are vehicles of transformation 
and we'll get into uh, examples of that. Now, Zoya points out that any drug addiction, for example, includes three factors. One, the physical organic habit formation, and recall that, uh, that Bill Wilson's uh, uh, doctor spoke of this as a, a kind of allergy. Two, conditioned psychological habits. All right, now, again, these two are, in a corresponding way, like the two that... Uh, that Bill Wilson's physician uh, talked about. But, again, he says nothing of a third kind. A third element which Jung eventually points to in his response, and which Zoya here expands on, and I'm going to read to you a quote from his book on page 31. The third aspect of all addictions, and not just drug addiction, is the presence of a para-religious element. And he adds, we might also define the element as sacred, which, unlike the other two elements, is neither acquired nor culturally conditioned, but is rather an archetypal tendency. This element would be responsible for the spontaneous formation of rituals and now here specifically for the drug addict's tendency towards esotericism, looking for the unusual, the mysterious, the occult. The fact that the third element is the least conscious explains to some extent why most other schematizations of drug addiction tend to be reductive, concentrating only on its physical and conditioned aspects as we see from the ineffectiveness of most drug treatment programs, the problem of addiction is not easily conducive to such reductive terms. Okay? What Zoya is saying, what, was, what Jung was saying is in his response to Bill Wilson, when he writes that liquor in Latin means spiritus, which in, in Latin also means soul, okay, same thing. This, these people are saying that the reason why an addiction requires a spiritual archetypal solution, like uh, Wilson's conversion, is because the essence of addiction is first and foremost a spiritual archetypal problem. Okay? We say in every neurotic problem that the archetype or God of that problem is the God who wounds and the God who heals. This is another way of saying again that in each great symbol, in each archetypal or universal symbol, there is both a positive and negative potential, depending on how it is understood and used by human beings. So writes Zoya, an archetypal meaning underlies uh, crucial terms in all of the addictions. Now, he takes the word addiction itself. He says the word addict appears in England around the 16th century. And it comes from the Latin addictus, which means handing over to someone. Addiction thus originally meant giving oneself over, but little by little. The meaning... Uh, uh, became connected with the use of, of drugs, uh, however, um, 
in a progressive way. A similar etymological evolution took place with the verb to crave, which come to us, comes to us from the Old Norse verb for to ask or to demand intensely. Therefore, to crave, you see, is practically like to pray. To pray. Addicted, therefore, has at root a deeper positive connotation and meaning. Even in our common speech, we, we speak of a positive or healthy addiction, meaning a positive habit that aids us, such as sleeping, a reasonable number of hours a day. It even implies our surrender, our giving ourselves over to a higher or more comprehensive power. Marion Woodman notes that in her work with food addictions, she finds in them the hunger for a spiritual food, for symbols and actions of love from individuals, but also from sacramental practices, such as the Eucharist in Christianity and the Passover or Sabbath meals in Judaism. And she also adds, now listen to this, because again, this is, uh, I'm going to build on this before we leave this evening. The real food of the soul is metaphor. The real food of the soul is metaphor. The whole world of dreams is a metaphorical, symbolic one. Religion is based on symbols. Art, music, poetry, the whole creative world, the world of soul is based on it. And in the Leonard's book, his entire book is based on the assumption that addiction is a destructive attempt to be creative. And she distinguishes here between the demon lover and the creative demon of the artist in each of us. In both, and this is a quote from her, page 11, both is a sort of possession, a giving oneself over to the call of creativity. This kind of possession can be negative and narrowing, but it can also be deepening and transformative. In the process of creating, both sides are often felt. Their tension must be borne if one is to actualize the vision. The addict tries to escape the tension of existence. The creative person honors the tension by living in it and creating out of it. Okay. Now, uh, again, uh, in this context, you see, it's, it's important to realize uh, uh, that Again, some wonderful literature has appeared on addictions. Norwood's uh, Women Who Love Too Much, which, of course, is the same affliction that, that uh, men have also, so many men. Um, and, and many beautiful uh, factors are shown in there that point to the addictive quality of, uh, of uh, uh, a, a fused love, as she talks about it, and also shows that it's very much like uh, alcoholism. Uh, Whitfield's book, for example, um, what's, the, what's the little book he's written, Healing the Child Within? Okay, is an excellent book. But look at, uh, when he gives us his important chapter 13 called Transforming, he simply gives you a kind of a cookbook again. He lists uh, a ways of transforming, breaking free of being a victim, letting go, turning it over, and the forgiveness process, being assertive, a person's bill of rights, now, these are all very necessary conscious types of awareness, signposts on the journey of healing 
and awakened community and creativity that helped to some extent to develop the necessary ego-consciousness to act, and especially if one has a hit bottom to ask for help. However, these healing factors must be experienced as part of one archetypal journey. Moreover, they need to be realized in the very ground of the soul as archetypal events and images as numinous experiences of the sacred. Uh, in fact, I, I find a lot of this in the, uh, in the big book, the uh, AA, the big book. I find uh, more evidences of a dynamic healing process in there at times than I do in, in so, many, so much of the uh, other literature. Okay, and uh, again, Zoya points out that, that if we don't get to the spiritual dimension, uh, something happens. He says, we begin to see the former addict falling into another dependence, either on a new substance or on another pathological behavior, a fanatic adherence to a religious sect, compulsive eating, and so on. Or for a lot of people who uh, uh, leave alcohol, uh, <coughs> sugar. Even membership in Alcoholics Anonymous, certainly one of the most effective programs against alcoholism, influences the individual by promoting the acritical, unconditional participation characteristic of sacred rites. Now, I, I'm not sure whether that's right or not, but uh, certainly uh, um, people who have been in AA, and I've worked with them uh, for years, do point out that's, uh, that for some, uh, AA becomes a, a form of addiction. However, that is expressed and realized. Okay. Now, let me give you an example of what I mean by a transforming uh, process. Here's a woman who came to me quite a number of years ago uh, complaining that she was absolutely full of explosions. She was so angry. Her father, uh, when she was seven, walked into the kitchen where she and her mother were, walked in with another woman and said, Goodbye, I'm leaving. And that was it. Took off. Okay, the mother immediately had a terrible breakdown and the little girl had to go live with the parents. Uh, she had dream after dream in which uh, um, there were explosions. Uh, an airplane fell on the, in the back of her house in a dream and blew up and blew up a portion of the um, bedroom she was in and her, her bedroom flew up in the air and she awoke in terror. And we worked constantly on the idea of holding uh, that uh, uh, that anger in order to transform it until finally she had a dream uh, which is as follows. I receive a bomb in my hand and it's alive. It is alive. This time, however, I do not drop it. I do not run. I hold it and suddenly it changes into a beautiful piggy bank with money in it. Okay? And we spent weeks talking about the significance of this transformation. And it was a very, very important turning uh, point in her life. Uh, not because just because of the dream, but because it symbolized, on one hand, what she was already beginning to do. She was already beginning to contain her anger, holding it. And we'll talk further about that tomorrow. But also because she used the dream as a, a way of... Uh, of experiencing over and over again the potential that she had for transforming 
anger as resentment into anger as, uh, as assertiveness. In the context of, uh, of that uh, third figure that I have, but locating it right up here, you'll notice that I have anger right here at this very crucial place where it participates in the high of, of any addictive process. There's an enormous anger in every addiction, okay? And the, uh, the anger as resentment comes from the wounded child, and therefore you'll notice there that I show this anger as resentment, right? But when that same anger comes from the self, then it becomes assertiveness. The essence of anger is this, that it is the emotion of assertiveness. And, uh, and uh, used in conjunction with the self, it becomes creative. It becomes creative. Similar transformations, for example, of killer children into playful or crying ones, rapists into lovers, negative parents into supportive parents, occur in dreams and dream work. In the process, neurosis and addictions are slowly overcome if one stays with the feedings, stays in the transformative experiences. Okay, now, uh, in, and in many cases, people will, will go through uh, a very subtle uh, uh, changes that are not as dramatic as this, and yet they begin to experience, you see, a change in attitude. Uh, Jung once sensed that, said that the, very, that the essence of all uh, psychologies uh, has to do with image and attitude. Image is, is cognitive, attitude is emotional, okay? And, and that both are, are essential, and we're going to discuss that, the, the importance of of what I call emotional climates. That's very, very crucial to our understanding of the transformative process. And, uh, and so uh, uh, let's keep in mind the crucial importance of, of holding both of those in order to affect significant change. All right, now just very quickly, I want to suggest uh, a further, and I've already indicated to you that, uh, that this whole process of transformation must be seen in the context of these, these larger pictures of what in evolutionary uh, um, uh, or cultural uh, evolution is called uh, the principles of differentiation, communion, and interiority. And let me just quickly show you what that means. And that is that the process of differentiation is a first stage of life process, okay? Uh, the big thing that we do in the first stage of life is differentiate. Realize ourselves as different from others. Okay? And we develop by virtue of that a, a strong enough consciousness so that we can be effective in the world and also so that we can also penetrate deeply into the uh, unconscious. Now, I, I think many of you have probably have heard this. Uh, psychological insight isn't worth a darn. Have you heard that? Insight isn't worth anything in psychology? A lot of people say that. Well, uh, I totally disagree with that because you have to have insight in order to specify the, the work that you're going to do with the unconscious. 
And let's keep that in mind, that uh, in differentiation is also a development of a very specific insight. And then the second uh, uh, leg of the journey is the fall into uh, what I call communion and interiority. And then out of that comes a new high, if you will, an integral high. All living things go through this, these processes. Yes. Communion with what? Communion with, uh, uh, with anything that is integral to your particular state of, uh, of existence. For example, uh, uh, Thomas Berry, who writes this wonderful book, The Dream of the Earth, discusses uh, the sun, for example, as, as differentiated. It's a very unique uh, uh, star. It's a very unique star. But it also, it's also part of a larger uh, a communion, and that is the, uh, the Milky Way galaxy. All right? And it also has a very unique interiority, that is creativity, and that it, it is the source of the 100-plus uh, uh, elements that compose all of matter, including your body and mine. Yes? You've used the term high almost interchangeably, not quite, a couple times. And, uh, with a lot of other highs. With ecstasy or something. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. And we're going to be dealing with that. Uh, a first stage of life development is achieving something of a high. We move, you see, out of a very, very primitive uh, uh, makeup as children uh, and, state of, and state of consciousness into what we call uh, a head consciousness. That's, that's high. That's high uh, metaphorically in the, uh, in the body. We need a strong head consciousness. Uh, I have a question. Yes. How do, you, how do you integrate that body? Because I see that if we stay with that high, no integration of the body, it forms itself into another addiction. It becomes a, mon a mon monstrosity in itself. Yeah. Uh, head consciousness by itself is an addiction. And it, and, and it becomes... Uh, it becomes the addiction to perfection, and it becomes workaholism. Okay, work becomes workaholic. Okay, and and there are dramatic examples of dreams that illustrate that process. And maybe you have some, and we want to, we want to uh, bring them in uh, tomorrow. Okay. All right. Now I suggest to you now, in the context of the above, that there is a large underlying reason why so many people in our culture are presently addicted, why our entire culture in its stifling, controlling behaviors, especially in its larger organizations, is an addicted culture. The reason is found in our overly developed mode of differentiation that characterizes a patriarchal culture in which polar differences are stressed in which anyone who is too different than the norm is looked on with suspicion. With suspicion. For 5,000 years now, in the West particularly, we have uh, been undergoing a first stage of life development, an outer, heady, information-laden, uh, uh, highly systematized existence, living mainly from the neck up and from the skin out, cut off from the body and its emotions and instincts, cut off from a deeper body politics, cut off from a deep ecology that looks underneath mere environmental uh, 
uh, our environmentalist strategies, to our human affinities with all of nature, uh, cut off therefore from our total earth community, cut off further from the interiority of everything, from the creative potentials of the earth and of all of its living things. To put it in more human terms, our patriarchal masculine mentality has cut off from the deeper meaning of both feminine and childlike. Yet, as Ashley Montague has pointed out in his Growing Young, the one great purpose of the 20 billion year evolutionary story is to produce a higher creature, the human being, who is imminently the childlike adult. Okay? The childlike adult. When I think of AA and all of its offspring, I think immediately of the importance of the group as a, a recouping of an elemental, even primitive-like community of anonymous believers in the importance of confessing our, confessing our shortcomings and of being vulnerable, of acknowledging our need for a healing spiritual power in the face of our personal helplessness and our need to help others find this healing spiritual power. Further the twelve steps that further and give structure to this process is at its core a creative process in which through our interiority, our looking inward, we ripen into mature, innovative human beings based on a co-creative living with God within and amongst us. Okay. And, it, you know, it, it occurred to me, too, when I uh, started to work with Zoya's, Zoya's book and... Uh, and Leonard's book, that uh, Zoya actually focuses more on community. He looks at the addictive process as an attempt on the part of young people to enter into what he calls the community of consumerism. It's a very interesting thesis. And when you look at, at, at Leonard, what she's looking at is interiority, that is creativity, the creative potential in our addictive processes. Now, I don't think this is accidental that these two books have been written. Uh, and, and when I say that, then I'm immediately uh, asserting the synchronistic aspect of, the, of this process that's occurring in this latter uh, part of the, uh, of the 20th century. And that, uh, and that synchronicity says that all of us are in a very, very deep uh, uh, network with all uh, living things and with one another. And I don't think it's an accident that you and I are here together tonight. All right, now, finally, I want to come down to my last point. And that is that I am convinced that, uh, that there is an original addiction, as I said, underlying all these other addictions. And the, uh, uh, this came to me, this term original addiction, when I uh, went to Minnesota last December to work with a group of 42 people, uh, most of whom had uh, alcoholic problems uh, in their personal lives or, or in some member of their family. And the rest uh, had codependent and workaholic problems. And practically all of them had codependency problems. Now before that workshop, I received a dream from a woman who has had serious difficulties in her family, not just with mother and father, but also with her siblings. Uh, she's a very sensitive, uh, introverted feeling person, and most of her sibs were extrovert, our extroverted, uh, sensate, extroverted thinking. She, she was really a lost sheep among five children and a mother and a father. They did not understand this quiet, sensitive child. 
she has a dream and here's how the dream goes I am captured by a very very powerful man and he takes me to his hiding place and in that hiding place he says in effect to me you can be free if you recite correctly the first commandment of the Decalogue of the Ten Commandments and she thinks for a moment and then she blurts out first honor thy father and thy mother and his response is no but it's a no as she says that resounded through the stars and the planets it, in wave after wave and she awoke in terror Now, I consider that an extraordinary thing. Okay. First, I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not have strange gods before me. What are the strange gods? Who are the strange gods? Mama and Papa. Not, in this case, as representatives of God. There are positive addictions you see here also there are very real codependencies in, a, in, a, uh, in, a, in an infant. And uh, always pointing to the, the essential codependency with God within. Okay. But here we're talking about a wounding and therefore what I call a primary idolatry. And a primary idolatry is the original addiction. The subservience of the child to the parents. Uh, this 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 young uh, this uh, uh, woman, when she was about twelve, decided that she was absolutely and totally evil, and that the only way she was going to save herself is by being the servant, the absolute servant of mother and father, and of her brothers and sisters. And it's taken her a long time to uh, to drop that, and to begin to realize. You see, the the other more essential, more fundamental aspect of healing addiction and, and that is claiming her own power okay claiming her own power now uh, very quickly look and see uh, what the uh, uh, what this uh, what this looks like uh, in this picture here <coughs> the fourth commandment is right up here this is where the uh, parent is internalized this area here that we call the grandiose area is the is the place from which we receive our societal norms this is the place of what Freud calls the superego the superego this is the place of power okay but secondary power and we'll get further in into that the uh, uh, the, uh, the first three commandments are right down here the first commandment I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not have strange gods before me. Second, do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Third, what is it? Remember the Sabbath day. Okay, now, again, translating these into psychic reality, what have you got? First, the self is speaking, as if the self uh, were God, which indeed it is. It's a realization of the intimate connection that we have with God. First, 
I am the primary referent and source of your power. No one else is. No one else is. Indeed, I can give the highest respect to mother and father because I am giving the highest respect first and foremost to myself. And I am not going to dis dishonor this, uh, this that I am at the core of my being, my uniqueness, and my connection with all living things. Okay? Second commandment. The third commandment, I am going to give time to be present to my inner mysterious ground. And then by virtue of that, then I can deal with any authority. You see, the fourth commandment, when it's expanded, is always, and, and in the classical uh, catechisms, you, get, you have a discussion here of, of one's loyalty to uh, not just mother and father, but also to the state, also to, the, uh, uh, to any institution in which one belongs. And that's real. That's real. But if, it's, if, if you see this, this uh, uh, um, hierarchy, if you will, is not honored, then you're going to have all kinds of, of addictive relationships with your spouse, with ideals, with institutions, you name it. You name it. With substances, with specific behaviors within yourself, such, uh, such as uh, resentment that can just eat us up. The addiction to perfection, is, uh, I call all of this holy exaggerations. Holy exaggerations. All right. I want to conclude by sharing with you a poem I consider one of the greatest ever written. It's Shakespeare's 29th sonnet. And I think it fits beautifully into this concern that we have. Let the love that it speaks of be the self, your inner first divine lover and the healer of all addictions. And this is how it goes. When in disgrace with fortune and men's eyes, I alone beweep my outcast state and trouble death heaven with my bootless cries and look upon myself and curse my fate, wishing myself like to one more rich in hope, featured like him, like, like him with friends possessed, desiring this man's art and that man's scope and what I most enjoy contented least. When myself almost despising, happily I think on thee, and then my state like the lark at the, at the break of day arising, from sullen earth sings hymns at heaven's gate. For thy sweet love remembered such wealth brings that then I scorn to change my state with kings. Okay, thank you very much, and let's, uh, let's take a, a break now, and then we'll come back and, uh, and, and you can uh, and ask questions, and then I also want to share with you an amplification of what it means to be in touch with psychic reality from a, uh, a dream here and also from a dream from a, uh, a person I'm working with.
This podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it all you like as long as you maintain the attribution to the speaker, but please do not change it or sell it. If you like this episode, tell your friends about us or leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about classes, training programs, videos, audio, this podcast, or to find a Jungian analyst near you, visit our website, www.jungchicago.org.